0: You're listening to the Master Photography Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Creative Live. We decided to partner with Creative Live because we really believe in them. They provide some really good video training for that'll help you to move down the path towards mastering your photography. They have over a thousand tra- video training courses covering food, wedding, landscape photography, software, cameras, lenses, gear, you name it. They have a course over there and it's very well done. It's immersive kinds of courses that are gonna really teach you a lot about photography. And every time I expand into a new area of photography, I find that it just really helps me with the areas I already know fairly well and makes me get more creative and improve and get better at the photography that I, I do more often. I wanna encourage you to go over to creativelive.com, enter code master10 at checkout, and you'll get $10 off your first class. So that's creativelive.com and enter code master10 at checkout. Welcome in to the Master Photography Roundtable, part of the Master Photography Podcast Network. You are joined by thousands of photographers listening to this show who are all on the same journey to master their photography. I'm Jeff Harmon, the host for this episode and today I'm joined by Brent Bergerm. How are you, Brent? Hello, Jeff. Doing well. Good. Good. Uh, you're probably tired because you just finished up your <laughs> video course.
1: And I started a new quarter and you know, it's just like life doesn't slow down, but life is definitely good. So I am totally not complaining.
0: Yes. Right. None of us are complaining that busy is good. Being busy yeah. is really good. It's better than the alternative, not being busy, not knowing how to spend your time and and what you're doing with it? That's it's going yes. to be busy. Yeah, it's tiring, but it's good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We, I, some of my time is going to be freed up now because the college basketball stuff's all done, and uh, I really get into that. So I spend a lot sure. of time watching basketball, and it's fun. All right. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's jump into the the first half of the show here, where we want to talk about that course that you just finished up, the new Master Photo Printing Course is now available. And so let's let's talk about that. Let's jump into it, Brent. Tell awesome. us a little bit about it. So it's a course that will
1: take you from beginning to end on pretty much everything you would need to know to get f- super awesome, exquisite prints from your photography. So if you are from the very basics, beginning type thing, I've got some items, you know, that cover the, the groundwork there. Uh, but we definitely go in... P- pretty deep into some of these topics uh, as as in what we need with, with that. So, you know, several episodes ago, probably a couple months ago now, we right. did a fairly deep dive into this whole idea of printing and what settings you need and the like. And I listened to or I talked with, I should say, uh, a listener uh, a while back. And he was kind of commenting. He was like, you know, I was listening to that episode and I was like, you you are trying to sell the course, aren't you? Because he felt <laughs> I was just giving everything away. Right. Um, and I was kind of like, yeah, but I, I kind of went pretty detailed and there's just so much
0: that I just couldn't even think to cover in a one hour episode of, well, the, or, or even adding uh, the aspects of video because you can see what you're working yeah. on a little better. Adding the aspect of video that really, oh, yeah. really helps with, especially with training with things that you want to do. I love it that we have this free resource for listeners to be able to come and get tips and and then they can, because it's audio only, they can consume it in lots of different situations, Absolutely, washing yeah. the dishes, driving the car, whatever it might be where, where they can have the earbuds you know, in the gym and, yeah. and learn a little bit, get some tips about photography. But you take it to another level when it's video training. We've had yeah. tons of people say, well, I sure wish you guys had more of this in video training. They'd even pay for video training, which is now your opportunity to do this. We have some video training. Um, and, and I wish that I had more time to be able to go and do more video training. Uh, it's just all I can do just to, with everything I have going on to keep up with even just the audio that we do. Um, so here's a chance for going into more depth with video and that's, that's great. All right. So who's this for Brent? If people are listening, it's called the master photo printing course. Does that mean that they need to like be a a master, uh, as they (laughs) of printing before they take the course? No, most certainly not. And that's kind of what
1: I, some folks will see because, you know, it's only been out for a week and a half or so. And they'll see that I actually have uh, released or under a different name. And, and I got some feedback and I was like, you know what? I did miss the mark there. Uh, I had called it a fine art printing course to begin with. Uh-huh. And I had plenty of people telling me, I just don't feel. That's for me, and I, was, and I got to talking with them a little more. I'm like, this is absolutely, I think, anyway. That you are my target market idea of who they are as a photographer. So I decided, you know what? I'm a part of the Master Photography Podcast group. I'm going to go ahead and use that name. Right, it's for people who want to master something, and so we're looking at the idea. If you are curious about printing and you want to master and wrap your mind around it holistically and just really sink your teeth into it, then this is for you. Even if you want to kind of tiptoe into it, so to speak, I would say even this is for you because while it's a very in-depth course, I have it broken down into so many bite-sized chunks that you can take the the speed that makes sense for you. You can go back. You can skip around in the course. There's a total of nine different modules in the course, and some of them are only a couple of videos, while others are like 15 or 17 different videos. That just goes into just so much detail about that particular topic. So it's really about that That just – it is in-depth, it is detailed, but if you are comfortable in your photography and you're curious about printing, that's who I would say this is for you. (laughs) If you're a very beginner in photography – and you're kind of wandering, as it were, into, you know, your photographic interests, uh, certainly you could still learn some great things here. It's just as far as that end goal, kind of having that goal of of what you want with some fine prints, um, at least having a couple of years experience is what I would really recommend folks have before they uh, dive into a course like this.
0: Okay, so I really like the name because... Yeah. It, it, and I was worried. We have talked about this a few times on the show now, but I was worried when we went to master photography podcast yeah. that people would get the wrong impression that we're trying to say all of us hosts on the show or the guests that we bring on are all masters of photography, which is not the case. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and we're trying to say, no, no, we're we're all on this journey. Like all of us photographers that are there. And I, I think even very well-established, long experienced professionals would say, they still have things they need to learn. They, they're still Absolutely. working on mastering the craft. And uh, I, at least I hope so because I have so much fun doing it. I, I hope it's a perpetual thing that, that I'll continue yeah. learning and growing and developing and and, and getting better at this. So, um, so that's the same line of thought here with the yes. photo printing. If you're a total beginner, you've never printed anything yourself before, then this course could still be free. What about if they're going to do printing through labs, Brent? Is that is this course still some, something for them? You betcha. Because
1: what I've done, the techniques are definitely the, the exact same, whether you print at home, the, the the post-processing techniques, I should say, are the exact same, whether you print from home or whether you print from a lab. And I do have a bonus section. So that's actually, I've mentioned there was nine components to the cl- to the course. There's actually a 10th that's a bonus and it's going to include a very in-depth look at at least six different online labs. So uh-huh. I'm going to look at some very popular, uh, relatively popular, familiar online labs and I'm going to be actually going through the entire purchasing process and I'm going to be reading, you know, doing a, a screen capture of that purchasing process and showing what it is that they're asking us to do and I'll explain what that means and what you have to do in your images in order to meet their requirements. And then I'm going to have another video after that that says, okay, I have all these prints back from all these different labs. And here's my analysis of these prints because that's one thing I do. Uh, I have so many different varieties of types of prints. Now, certainly I'm a a travel outdoor type photographer. So I'm in that genre. If, If there's something in the portrait type setting, I don't really cover that. But uh, if you're in that travel outdoor nature landscape type stuff, that's that's where this is focusing on. And then when we look at, uh, as I'm going through the course and what's there now, it's a discussion about why I did what I did. And then I'm telling you my reaction to what I did, what I did. And then there's also actually two in there, I'll tell you, where actually the whole thing just failed. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave these in there because this is a learning opportunity. And like you mentioned before, With the idea of being able to continually learn, I guess my opinion is if you lose that idea of wanting to just continually learning more and just continually growing in your photography, if you lose that, you should probably hang up your camera because, you know, obviously there's some use still to capturing images and whatnot. But for me, it's about a continual journey as well. Uh, I have been shooting for over 20 years, prof- professionally for over 20 years. So I do pack a lot of, and printing for over 10 years. So I do pack a lot of knowledge into there. But absolutely, my whole point here too is to say, I want feedback from people. And if there's any way I can make this course better, I'm going to update it and make it better. And it will be kind of a, a continuing thing, depending, of course, on what the what the users are, what the
0: students are feeding back to me. Sure. Okay. So let's let's talk about then... Right now, as the course stands, as you, that you just finished up, we did the, the podcast episode where we went over kind of what you planned to put in the course. But now, yeah. now that you've done it, what's actually in there? So now that I've done it, yeah, that's a good question. So there's certainly an
1: introduction. There's definitions where when we're talking about definitions, we're looking at just setting the groundwork of what it means for color space, what it means for color management, the difference in what we're talking about with pixels per inch and dots per inch. We've had a lot of conversation on the podcast about how, especially when you're dealing with screen representation of your images, really the browsers and whatever else, they don't give a rip about what your pixels per inch is set to in Photoshop. The only right. thing where that's kind of... A caveat, we have to set some kind of pixels per inch because simply Photoshop requires that. But our point is when you're going, especially with electronic distribution, it doesn't matter. It could be a 3000, it could be two. It's about your pixel count. Well, when you go to printing, uh, you know, we we definitely want to pay attention to what our pixels per inch is in the image itself in the file. I'll uh, talk a little bit about paper options, but then I also have a whole other module that's purely on uh, paper options and what is what that's about. Okay. Okay. Uh, Equipment needs, talking a little bit about computer hardware, screen requirements, uh, the printer details. I focus in this course on Epson and Canon printers. Uh, Certainly, this could be uh, applied towards HP printers. If you have an HP printer, they're just not as popular. Uh And then some software items. I do focus what I'm talking about. I'm using the Adobe uh, suite as far as the, the Lightroom Classic is what I'm using. And then Photoshop for controlling the actual printing process and the the final uh, post production type process. Okay, but those are some tips, or there are, there are some ideas you could easily translate those those settings to whatever other software you're using, so long as they have the similar controls. I guess we could say. Okay. Uh, then we talk about basic workflow, just kind of showing you what I do. Basically, it's uh, this is probably the shortest uh, lesson overall with a little bit of talk about file formats and what's important when you're printing uh, as well. Okay. We get, we dive deeper into color management and then we're looking at the whole process of doing the screen profiling. We talk about that and I know we're actually going to talk in more detail uh, later uh, in this episode as well on screen profiling. Right. I show you how to download those paper profile downloads uh, from different paper manufacturers. And then we get into custom creating our own, paper profiles for oh, the wow. icc profiles and then there's actually a little thing there about cleaning your ink heads because sometimes our printers get clogged and that can affect the color if we're if we're not getting enough ink out it'll affect the color and sometimes it's not noticeable but just something a quick reminder saying you know if it's been sitting a while you want to clean that up okay and then we get finally on segment 6 on lesson 6 we get into what i call capture processing and talking about the foundations, uh, what we do when we're looking at panoramics, uh, basically it's the same idea. It's just you know extending it then out to to several images. Uh, so we look for what we're what we're trying to deal with when we're dealing with a panel process. Uh, is there any differences that we might consider when we're dealing with higher ISO images? So I have a high a high ISO image in there that helps us understand. You know, sometimes uh, things are going to work out great, sometimes they're not, but what do we do when we're considering higher ISO images? Because we have that digital noise, we just want to be able to deal with that. And sure. then we get into, that's that's kind of wrapping it up in the capture processing idea. That's a very, uh, usually it's a very quick process. Uh, it's an analysis. It's focused on the analysis of the technical quality of the image. Then we get into the creative side of things. And when we're talking about the creative processing, almost anything goes. Uh, So I I have uh, seven videos that focus on uh, different types of images and they have different intents. So it's all about discussing and helping you understand what is the intent of the image? What is your purpose for your images? Here's several different varieties and then you'd be able to hopefully be able to translate some of that thinking into your images so you can then characterize what you want to do Uh, and and articulate what you want to do with your image. And then you'd be able to uh, uh, execute that. You know, that's, that's important to be able to execute that. Then as we get into the uh, segment eight, that's where this is the big one, because I talk about the differences in the actual output sharpening for both Epson and Canon. So I've got nine videos on the Epson and eight videos on the Canon printer. And, many of them were looking at the same images but on a couple of them I looked at unique images on uh, each side of things so uh, it's just to kind of give it a little bit of variety I do encourage people if you're on if you have an Epson printer please watch both sets if you're on a canon printer please watch both sets there's still gonna be something to learn uh, on all of those items and then we wrap it up with uh, final thoughts on paper types and then the bonus items and that's it
0: Okay, so back on the um, differences in output sharpening, if they're not going to print themselves, and so they don't know Epson or Canon, and I mean, you might be able to find out from the lab what specific equipment they're using, but does that play a factor?
1: A little bit. So what we're dealing with there is balancing what the settings that we're uh, going to be uh, doing for the output sharpening with the... DPI or the hardware that is, uh, that it is being printed to. When we go with an online printer, we probably don't know the actual DPI hardware, right. but they're going to tell us what PPI to put it at. So when we're making our decisions based on our pixels per inch, when we do that and then balancing it towards we're setting our pixels per inch based on what the hardware is. Well, when we go into the online printer, we don't know what the hardware is, but at least they're giving us the, the main pixels per inch that they want us to target. And so we can still apply those techniques to what we're looking at uh, when we do capture sharpening. We can get a feel for what it's all about. Plus, I'm going to be including, I don't have them posted yet, but I'll be including uh, at least two of my raw and then uh, what I call print master files uh-huh. that have those sharpening settings applied. And when you take a look at that with those sharpening settings, you're going to be able to see it precisely on your monitor because that's one of the things that I talk about in the equipment. We have different resolutions for our monitors, whether you're on just a 1080, you know, 1920 by 1080, whether you're on the, the you know, like the 2K type monitors or the 4 or 5K monitors, things are just going to look different. And these videos are in 1080p quality, but things are still just going to look different right. when you see it on the video versus what's literally happening on your, in your system. So I'm going to give uh, at least two of those files with those settings, and you can literally follow along with what I'm showing you. And then you can see, oh, that's how it looks like. Right. That's what he's saying. And you have right. the exact thing representing on your unique screen, though, with whatever resolution you have. And then because there is that certain level of interpretation that we have to be able to look at and say, well... He said this setting, but my goodness, it's just not happening for me. You know, whatever, for some reason, it's just not. well, the the monitor resolution itself might be the culprit there. And so we want to just, I want to be able to give you something that you can uh, follow precisely along with, and then you can see exactly what it looks like on your screen. Then when you go do your own images, you're going to be able to uh, see those exact same types of changes in those details and hopefully getting getting everything coming together for you, you know, really closely. Uh, but that's what review is about. And so I have a lot of review there as well. Um, so so hopefully
0: that'll help people with those files. I love it when courses offer that kind of thing. Like you, here's a, a, a sample file that you can use because a photographer may not have a good one to go from. They, they sure. may need that sample file and follow along with the video training. Because, Like you said, the, the 1080p resolution of the video that gets recorded That's not the same resolution. That's, that's probably at least half, if not like a quarter or an eighth of the resolution that you're going to have when, uh, when someone's looking at it themselves. And it's always frustrating. I've seen this a ton in like the free YouTube training that's available. And a lot of them do try to warn you, like you may not see the big difference that I'm talking about right. here. As, as I'm moving this slider, as I'm changing this thing, you may not see it, but trust me, it's there. It's there. And it's yeah. a big deal, and uh, and it's so it's, it becomes a little challenging to follow along with that. So I, I, yeah. I think that's great that you're offering some images so they can really see it on their own screen in their setup right. that they have and, and play around with it. The the only thing that applies. The only thing that that idea applies to with
1: this course is when I'm doing my screen calibration and I had to dim my screen a little bit, in the video, you obviously don't see the dimming of the screen, but everything else you see coming through... But still, it's just not the same as having the file yourself. And especially when you're dealing with Smart Sharpen, there's so much in that Smart Sharpen. And so I'm actually putting, I was a little nervous. You know, as, as photographers, these photos are, are, they're our babies, right? Yeah. And we, we like to to impress our, our copyright and whatever else. But I was like, well, the real value here is going to be when they can actually see it. So I decided I'm just going to do it. And, and put that image out there. So this was um, one of my favorite images from Dubrovnik. And there's so many things about that image when you do the sharpening that you can screw up so fast. But I walk through a very detailed showing you how bad it can get how we kind of get sort of close, but not quite there. And then just dialing it right in. Right. And so you can follow along with that file. I mean, I, I think that's just going to be a huge benefit. Um, I just, I'll, I'll, I'll get that uploaded by the time this recording is available. So okay. if, if you guys take the course, you'll be able to see that there immediately. Okay. So how
0: long is this course?
1: So, right now, it is over eight hours in total length of Ooh, all videos. So, if you were to download <laughs> it in one chunk, it's just shy of 60 gigabytes at 1080p resolution. And that's a lot of content. Yeah. So, the reason why I've been talking about all these details and how I uh, have lots of different examples, I don't just show you, okay, this is how the tool works. And then I talk a little bit about why you would do this, why you would do that. I show you a lot of bit of why you would do this and why you do that, because I want you to be able to do whatever you can to uh, be able to apply it to your images. And so as you see multiple approaches, and as you're going through it, you'll probably be able to discern and say, okay, yes, I can get, I can get this, I can
0: get that. and And it's coming together pretty well for me. Perfect. Okay, what options to, if a listener wants to go and take the course, they've been convinced, as we talked about it, how do they do it? So get onto my website, uh, com. Everything is
1: housed there, and you'll see a courses item in the nav bar. And when you look at that, there's a couple of intro videos. It's just a big, huge page that shows you all the different uh, things about it. But with the options that I'm talking about here, there's actually three ways to do this. Uh, I guess I could toss in a technical fourth way. It's just not on the website. But that is the first way is just to take the regular online course where you have access to all the videos. And it's in a learning management system that tracks your progress. And as you watch something and as you click around and whatnot, it'll start putting check marks by these different things. And you'll know that you've been there. Uh, the thing that I would caution you against is don 't just go click 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 click, click, and not do anything because then it just registers that you 've been there and that you 've done it you completed <laughs> right. it so when you, you know when you go there, you complete it, you know and you have easy tracking of of where you 've been and what you have left to do okay but it also offers monthly group sessions for q and a, so we have yet to get to our first month, but we are going to be able to do. Uh, group session Q&As for the first six months. So basically what I'm doing is I'm tracking sales and when they happened. And so you would expect to receive an email once a month saying, okay, here's what our next group session is. Uh, sign up, you know, or here's the link, whatever the case is, how we're going to manage that. And you'd be able to come on and ask questions if you have questions, but it will be in a group
0: setting. Cool. Is that um, like webcams and Microphones needed to join those group sessions? How, what's the, so
1: some type of microphone would be required if you want to be able to talk and ask the questions, but I'm going to use a system that does allow screen sharing. So if you have a question that's specific to your image, I would say have it ready to go. And then you'd be able to ask your question, and we could, I'll be able to click the button to share your screen. And I would be able to help you directly with that question. And but of course everyone is gonna see that right, that's part right. of the group. Sure. And those will last about a half an hour, between an hour, uh thirty minutes and, and uh thirty-five minutes or somewhere in there. So they're intended to be for those kind of uh those questions that you just have burning, you know, what what about this? What about that? Uh and if we can take two or three, maybe ten minutes per person kind of a thing, uh, and we'll work through we'll work through the group sessions. After six months, you know I'm gonna k- just keep it for those who have uh, put in the, the the recent orders, basically. So you have six months worth of time to to go through it and ask and have those questions. Uh, after that, I'm I just won't automatically include you on the gotcha. thing. Yep. But I always encourage people to email me. That's you know that's that's fine. Okay. All right. The second the second way to take the course is what I'm calling a virtual online workshop or a virtual workshop online. And so that is more expensive, but includes everything we just talked about. But you're also going to be able to get one hour of a private Skype session. And that'll be for any printing assistance or what have you. And I think that one of the biggest benefits is if you follow my guidelines with how I mark my prints and I'm tracking my prints and all that kind of stuff, You, I then invite you, after you've got several prints done, So let's say you've got like five different copies with different settings of three to six different prints or something like that, six different images. Then you can actually ship those to me and I will give you uh, very detailed feedback on what's working and what's not. So it's just another set of eyeballs to look at it and say, this is working for that print. This is not working for that print. It definitely helps if you can articulate what your intent is for that print, at least on a basic level but there's actually the opportunity to have you ship them to me and we can either do that feedback via Skype or I can just uh, do an audio recording, video recording, what have you. Okay. So that is also included. Then the final way is an in-person workshop. So I've got the here in the beautiful Walla Walla Valley. uh, People are really familiar with the Palouse. Uh, The Walla Walla Valley has some rolling hills too, but we got so much more besides just rolling hills. Uh, So we would we would uh, have a regular photography workshop and that is five days. uh, So Monday through Friday is when that's going on. And four of those days, Tuesday through Friday, we're going to spend our time during the heat of the day, just going through the whole print process together as a group. Uh, But that does include it. Once you sign up, it also automatically grants you access to the online course. So you also get the online course if you do that workshop. All
0: right. All right. Nice, lots of ways to be able to take it. Uh, you mentioned a yeah. bonus a bonus segment. What is the bonus segment? So
1: the the way to take the course alternately. No, or just, I said it's not on the website, or the bonus uh, actually that's in the course itself. Oh, we
0: already we already talked about the bonus thing that's going to be your uh, print lab evaluation. Right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So
1: the, the the thing, the option that's not on the website is just the idea. I've got a camera club that has hired me to basically do this as a presentation for the camera club. So if you have a group type thing, reach out and we can schedule that sometime this summer if you want to do it for your camera club you got a bunch of buddies, you just want to get together and do it. And, and, uh, you know, it's probably gonna, definitely gonna be more affordable if it's in the Pacific Northwest, but you know, me, I'll, I'll go anywhere. So, um, <laughs> we, we can do that type of thing anywhere. I just,
0: that's just not something that I have listed on the website. Perfect. Okay. Well, I hope listeners are going, th- those that are interested in printing, I, I think you should go check out the, uh, the options that are available here. Let's, let's check out this printing course. Brent and I are going to talk about screen calibration in just a second here. And we're excited to do that. It's fun. You know, our objective here at Master Photography is to provide free content that's helpful to everybody who listens to continue moving down the the path towards mastering their photography. I love tackling some of the uh, topics that less experienced photographers need help with. And answering facebook group questions this is one that comes up a lot in the facebook group but i, I really want you to check out our partner that we want to profile again here and just spend a second talking about and that's creativelive.com we talked about it at the beginning of the show and here we wanted to just kind of give you an example of what you can do with it i went to creativelive.com and i did a search for video training courses available on the same topic on, sc- on screen calibration so i just typed in screen calibration in the search bar And up pops a lot of options. There's a lot of courses where there are experts, masters in their specific genre of photography that want to have video training courses on how to do this. The one that caught my eye is one from Renee Robin. And if you don't know, if you're not familiar with Renee's work, uh, you need to go check it out. That's R-E-N-E-E, Robin, R-O-B-Y-N. So if you search for her, you're going to find some incredible photography. She does a masterful job of kind of combining the real world, like a photograph that she's taken, and putting it into a fantasy scene. So, co- the composite kind of work. She has a course called Creating Your Reality with Composite Photography on CreativeLive.com. And in that course, there is a chapter called Color Theory and Monitor Calibration. Even better, the course is only $99. So the, the courses are, are immersive and they're specific to what you are looking for help on. And it's really going to help you to move faster down, down the path towards mastering your photography. We love having you as a listener. We love that we can provide the free content. But when you're ready to kind of increase the pace a little bit of learning then uh, creativelive.com is an excellent resource that you can have. Even better, you can get $10 off your first course. If you want to buy Renee's course for $99, if you go use coupon code MASTER10 at checkout, you're going to get $10 off that course, your first class. And I, I, it's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. Renee is a, a fantastic artist and she's a great teacher. Um, I just recently listened to her and Steve Razzle, who was on with me on, on Photo Taco podcast recently. Um, the Steve's Behind the Shot podcast and videocast. She was on with him. You can check that out for free too, just to kind of see what Renee's about, what she's like. And it will give you an idea about what this course is like at creativelive.com. So one more time, that's creativelive.com and coupon code MASTER10 at checkout. All right, Brent. Now that we've talked about your course, there was a piece of that that we kind of went over a little bit. And it's, uh, it's screen calibration. Yeah. Um, which is kind of pretty vital for printing to make that so that it can work well. Um, so let, let's talk about that a little bit. I, I wanted to talk in the second half of this episode about it because we've actually had like tons of questions in the Facebook groups about... Calibrating screens and mm-hmm. is this really something they need? Um, what, how do you do it? What, what's the process like? Um, <coughs> sorry, I remember it being something I went through really on early on too as a photographer. It, it's a subject that seems to come up very quickly with people, especially when they first see like differences. Like they edited it and then they go look on their friend's computer or they look on their phone or something like that. Look at the image and they say that does not look like how it looked on my screen That's right. at all. What's going on here? Then you start searching and, and you figure out there's this concept of screen calibration and, and what you can do here. One of the recent questions that we had in the Facebook group, I, I just pulled out the most recent example. It seems to re- be recurring. And in the future, maybe we can point people to this specific episode um, as a way to, to answer their questions. But Patrick Doherty Duer- Dowerty. I'm not sure. Sorry, Patrick. I, I probably butchered your name, but uh, we'll say Dougherty. I think that's that's maybe how you pronounce it. Always dangerous to try to pronounce names. But. Yes, it is. <laughs> I, I would say Doherty. The Doherty. Okay. But Sorry, anyway, we've we tried enough. <laughs> so uh, he, every, every he said this. Yeah, he said this. He said, I was listening to Lord Page, which, if you don't know, that's our loving nickname for Nick Page. He's, uh, he's just a wonderful photographer and a great guy, and we love him. So we've, we've given him the little nickname of Lord Page. Um, he said, Lord Page yesterday about printing, and they talked about setting the screen's brightness being important for print. He said, I have a color-calibrated monitor, Dell laptop, and I'm using the Spider 5. So that's a hardware device that you can use to calibrate your screen. He said, I did not have it do the brightness. I set mine to around 25% as, that, as it seemed to match the few times I printed at home. The most recent time, I allowed it to set the brightness to see what it would do. And it had me set it at 75%, which seemed really bright. And even when I tried to post a photo online, it seemed really bright. Understanding the environment can change... What I need, is there a way to find the brightness or is it just play with it and see what looks good? So, Brent, how would you answer Patrick's question here?
1: Oh, my goodness. So, the first thing to think about, too, is something that's very important on this device. And that is it does have that little sensor that uh, measures how bright your ambient light is. And it can probably even, I would guess, uh, I would say, it would uh, measure the temperature of that ambient light, and that would uh, maybe alter your results a little bit as well. So the first time around, he says he didn't have it do the brightness, and he set it to around twenty five percent. What I'm what I'm gathering by this is to say the 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 second time around, that was the first time around, but the second time when it set it to seventy five. Uh, That means it seems to me he's saying the ambient light was measured, and so it altered what the monitor is doing based on the luminance value of the ambient light. And so then that's what he's asking about. Is there a way to measure how bright the ambient light is? So that's how I interpret this question. And so what I would look at that and say is, well, first off, how bright truly is your, your surroundings? Right, Do right. you have lights that are shining directly on your monitor because that's where you put the little puck when you are measuring your, your color? Or are the lights, you know, off on the side? Are they lamps? You know, like right now in my office, I have lights that are uh, in little can lights that are embedded in the ceiling. And there's actually some that are kind of sort of shining right on the monitor, but they're at such a high angle. They don't actually strike the monitor directly. But if I were to have uh, one of those colorometers that had the sensor on it, it would definitely give me some odd results because just the way the light is shining on this. So I would have to look at the scenario and really understand exactly what his ambient light is doing in order to give an accurate answer. But the first thing I have to call into question is, you know, he's saying it felt like it was too bright even when he viewed the photo online. Well, that that totally makes sense because the the... The calibration was, you know, saying, "Well, we need to brighten this up because your viewing area is pretty bright. We need to brighten the monitor so right. that we can, uh, we can make this look good." Uh, so, I guess to me, it makes sense if his if his viewing area is really bright. I would say, do it again with your lights turned off and see what happens. Sure. Have you used the Spider Five? I actually have not. The one I use is the X, um, X-Rite, color X-Rite by the, the Pro One, excuse uh-huh. me. Uh, and that one actually does not have a, a sensor in it, but I've always had good results with their industry standards, but that's another thing I talk about in the course is to say, you know, the, certainly go with industry standards first, but then read up on what does it what do we do if we change this and what will happen is the software will allow you to say okay how bright do you really want this to be set the industry standard is 120 candelas per square meter or i should say meter squared but um if you want to make those changes then we can make that a little brighter we can make that a little dimmer but uh he says, just play with it and see what looks good. Well, I think with a little bit of knowledge, we can not just feel like we're playing with it, but we can hone it in and we can kind of drill down into a little bit. So it does it does have, your ambient does, does play into it a, a, a quite a bit, especially with those devices that have the ambient light sensor, I would say, because, you know, they can mess up your results, turn off the lights, you're going to get different results because that ambient light sensor is changing due to the fact that you have a different light set, set up
0: yeah, so I've never used the Spider Five either or any of the spider products. Uh, they're from data color. That's the the vendor there. and i I know I can recommend them because I've seen a lot of photographers use that specific kind right. of thing. Uh, I just personally went with the, a different vendor. I think the process is similar, but as I kind of I looked into it a little before we recorded the show, yeah, um, I didn't see a couple of things that I see happen with my color monkey um, calibrator from x rite and that's um, first off the the very first thing it does is it, it's got this like diffuser thing that you can put over the sensor, and it has you put it in your environment to measure the ambient light. That's like the very first step of what you do. And I didn't see in any of the videos I watched about the Spider Five that it took that into consideration. Maybe it does it differently and and um, can calibrate it that way, but I didn't see that step specifically. Then towards the end of the calibration stuff, it also tries to measure kind of the glare factor from your monitor. So it has you hold like you, okay, just so people can visualize this. You start off, you put it with this diffuser thing over the top of it on the Color Monkey. It measures ambient. Then you take that that diffuser off. You rotate it around off of it and you um, put it up on your monitor so that it can actually do the full calibration stuff that's going on. It starts with brightness uh, sc- uh, on your screen giving the ambient light and, and adjusting it and then then it does the color stuff and it produces a, a icc profile to apply to your monitor as it's done and then the last step before it finishes the icc profile is it has you hold pull the the device away from the monitor and ha- hold it 12 inches from the screen so it can measure glare and try to a- and a- accommodate for that too and all, that's another step i didn't see the Spider 5 accommodating. So it's it's a little different process with the X-Rite equipment. Uh, I'm not sure if one is better than the other because I don't have experience with the Spider 5. And in particular, Patrick's asking about the brightness aspects. It makes sense to me that maybe there's a little more going on with the X-Rite thing to account for that and arrive at a little bit better brightness level. But I'm not certain. Anyway, the point would be... Um, in general, as a rule. So he, he said 25%. Now, on a, on a laptop, it's it's pretty easy. You usually have like a function key that controls the the display yeah. brightness of your screen, the laptop screen itself. And so it's easy to kind of see percentage-wise how, how big or how far across it is. And in general, my experience has been it's probably almost never over 50%. Right. I mean, it maybe be if you're editing out in the sun on the lawn <laughs> or, yeah. or something like that, then you might need to go higher in that kind of a situation. But in general, 50% is probably the, the most that I've seen I need to take it up. And yeah, around 25 to 50 is probably the sweet spot for most screens and most uh, indoor editing setups if you're right. going to be inside. So I, I do think 75% sounds like a lot to me in general. Now, if you're hooking up that laptop to another screen, uh, changing the uh, if the the primary screen you're editing on is not the one that's on the laptop native screen, there you need to separately ca- uh, calibrate that other screen, that external screen. Definitely. So that's that's another thing to consider too. Um, all right, so so in general, the brightness that's that would be my advice to Patrick. That's what I gave him on the Facebook group too was. Yeah, the seventy-five percent feels high to me too. I'm not sure what's going on there with the Spider Five and how you're using it. And maybe need to check out some some videos, t- tutorials that talk about how to use the product and and how it co- uh, correlates to the brightness settings. Um, but I wanted to kind of round out the end of the show here with a few other tips about screen calibration since we get so many questions about it. I want to just go through kind of the general stuff that we talk about with screen calibration too. So. First off, it would be the the basic question: why do we even do it in the first place? Um, computers come configured with you know brightness settings and contrast settings and um, the color settings by default, but what about that Brent means that we need to calibrate why Why is there this need to even do it?
1: Well, because the manufacturers certainly don't know. I guess we could just say they don't know what we're doing on our computers, and if we're going to be running uh, some fine quality images and the like, they're probably they're they're probably doing kind of like what I think TV manufacturers do, and they kind of crank up that sharpening, they crank up that saturation, they crank up these different uh, settings that we can have on there, and it might you know for a movie it might be good and it might be a great experience or, or other things like if we're doing something online or whatever. But when it comes to our images and trying to just be as precise and hopefully accurate as as possible and also showing detail, because you know, if your contrast is too high, you're ruining your highlights and shadow details. If your brightness is too high or low, you're also ruining your shadow and highlight details. So it's about finding what really is best so we can see everything in our pictures
0: as much as possible and and have good results there right i also think there the manufacturers have an objective they want you to be like super impressed when you take that computer out of the box oh um, yeah and and at the stores too they they have set it up in a way to make it so that the the colors the contrast and the brightness is going to be overdone just to make it so that it looks really impressive and like that default wallpaper you're going to get. Oh when yeah. You, I was when you start was just going that computer <laughs> that, that it's going to look cool. And you're like, Oh, look at that screen. That looks nice. I like this. And you're going to be really happy. You bought this computer because of how that yeah. image looks. You and, can guarantee when you walk into the Apple store and you see
1: those wallpapers, they have fine tuned oh, yeah. those images to look perfect for how they have those things uh, calibrated, but when you get your images on there, maybe it's not going to look as good, or maybe it looks, you know, a little extra overdone or whatever. But yeah, they've they fine tuned that, and they they know what they're trying to
0: sell you. Well, it's even the case, uh, you know, as you go on Instagram or as you you're looking at any any place where people are sharing photos, the ones that that get are very popular and are received well by a lot of people are those that have oversaturation and yep. lots of contrast. And, and they're very, well, some are even very moody and dark. But um, it's it's a, a look that appeals to a lot of people right now. That's not necessarily going to mean, uh, like, if you use those settings, sure, it's not guaranteed it's going to completely ruin your photo somewhere else. Right. But if you print it, it's not going to look the same. It has very little chance of that. It's not going yeah. to look the same way at all. And so, calibration for printing, in particular, super, super important to make it so that you get the brightness, the color con, and the con, uh, the color rendition and the contrast to look so that you have a better chance of, of getting a print done that looks similar to what it looked like on your screen. Yeah, and and the, uh, the print course, print to print course, I'm sure we'll go into some a lot more detail if you need more information about how to do that. But that's another reason that I'd suggest, even if printing is not something that you're going to be doing a ton of, I still think you should print, maybe not yourself, but through a lab. That's a, It's a really good way to make your photography just become real is, is by doing that. But yes, even if you're not planning to do a ton of that, and I don't do a ton of it, but some, um, there's still value in doing it. And here's why I think there's value in calibrating your screen, even without that. the The value would be, kind of baselining your photo so that when it gets out there into the world and people are looking at this on their phone, on their tablets, on various size screens, it has a chance of looking good no matter what their settings are. You can't control what their settings are. You can't control their brightness. You can't control their contrast or their colors. Some of them may have a horrible tint to it that, that that kind of just came that way because most people are not going to calibrate their screens And if you start with a calibrated screen, you have a better chance that on someone else's screen, it's going to look good. But if you start from a screen that's not calibrated and it has some colors really oversaturated and then you mute those colors when you're editing it because it was oversaturated on your screen. Now, when it goes to someone else's screen where maybe those colors weren't as oversaturated, they maybe have it muted. It's going to look even more muted (laughs) and desaturated and and look weird look funny and so so if you have a calibrated screen even if you're not printing it kind of baselines things and make it so that you have a better chance of having the photo look like you want on someone else's screen now of course they can have their screen settings be totally messed up and it's gonna look weird (laughs) there's nothing you can do about that but you have a better chance that's kind of what the point is
1: yeah it's it's about having a better baseline
0: i guess is what it comes down to right right Okay, uh, another thing that I hear really often in Facebook groups or from other photographers is, okay, but I have a Mac, and and Mac doesn't have this problem. Macs just come, they're they're awesome screens, they don't need, they come pre-calibrated, I don't need to calibrate the screen. What do you think about that, Brent? They are awesome screens. Yes. They are wider than your sRGB,
1: but not as wide as your Adobe RGB, so they're right pretty much in the middle. But I would still say we definitely still need to calibrate because every system, you know, Mac or PC, we still need to calibrate just so we have that 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 good measurement to have that physical measurement. That's what we need to be able to do so we can have confidence in what our images are looking like and what our monitors, our screens are actually producing. Because otherwise, we're we're pretty much shooting from the hip, and and yeah, it might look good to our eyes, but. Our, our eyes, you know, they they will change depending on, our, our interpretation can change depending on what's surrounding us. And so, uh, if we want that consistency, we definitely still need to, doesn't matter how good you, your, your screen is, you still need to calibrate it. Even if you were to spend the most money on one of those BenQ monitors, you still right. need to
0: calibrate it. Yeah. It's not saying that Mac isn't producing really good displays because they are, they're great. Yeah. They're really yeah. high quality. They're beautiful. They're very capable. They do a wonderful job with color rendition, but, uh, and, and maybe there's an effort. I've never seen anything that said there's an effort to pre-calibrate in some fashion, but, and really, if you think about it, they can't because everyone's environment that they're editing in is different. Yeah. So yeah, maybe they do a better job of baselining things than other right. manufacturers might that, that's possible. Um, but even if they did, there's still going to be environment differences and you still right. need to calibrate. You still want to have that calibration.
1: Well, and even like a monitor manufacturer like BenQ, and I think ViewSonic also does this, They for their top quality photographers, monitors, that kind of a thing. They do say each one is tested at the factory and sure. it has a certain certification uh, for calibration. And I look at that and say, that's awesome. But that still doesn't take into consideration my specific uh, graphics driver, my specific, uh, you know, everything else that's going into my computer and my environment. At least I know that from the factory, that monitor has been measured and tested to have certain capabilities, but that doesn't mean that my computer can cause that monitor to have those capabilities until I calibrate it.
0: And then I get that ICC profile installed and then I know I can get those capabilities. Right. Or it's tuning those capabilities. Just, they're they're validating all the pixels are good. All the pixels can render the colors the way they're supposed to. Right. Perfect. That's, That's like, you know, quality control kinds of things. That's great. Yes. But we're talking about something different from that. That's not what we're doing here. We're just making sure that as we're editing the photos, we're editing it with a specific calibration that's been done so that we can have it look close in print or baseline it for sending the images out to their other displays that may have totally different settings and calibrations, but it's going to hopefully provide a more consistent experience across a wide range of displays. Yeah. Okay. Now another one I hear, it was okay. Those hardware devices, they're like a hundred bucks, close to 200 bucks or more. The, some of the high end X-ray stuff can be thousands, right? Yeah. Um, The one I have is 1500. Yeah. Yeah. So, so they can be fairly expensive and people look, they get into this and they're like, wait a minute, there's some native stuff in both Mac and Windows to do some calibration yourself, like software based, no hardware, no, no USB device that you're put, plugging into your computer and using to, to right. measure the colors on your screen. What about those? Oh,
1: it's it's almost painful. So what, <laughs> on the Mac, you go to System Preferences, you hit Displays, and then you hit this other item called Color, and then there's this button called Calibrate. And it walks you through this little thing, um, and it gives you this little rendition of a square, and it has these two things, and it says, okay, you need to do this, you need to do that, and set your contrast a certain way, set your brightness a certain way. And I've, I've done that, and there's zero difference in that little square that they're trying to show me. Uh, so, I just don't it, – it's it's not worth it. There's, there's nothing of value that I see it's doing. Uh, I, I just don't see how that can help us because it's all about judging with the eye uh, as well, which, you know, it, it can shift. But then – everything I do here on this screen with this, with adjusting the thing is because it's saying adjust your contrast and your brightness until you have this scenario going on. Um, every single brightness value and every single contrast value, it looks pretty much relatively anyway the same. So there's no real changes happening there. So I just, it's hard for me to, to trust that.
0: I, I remember very well going through this exact same phase as a hobbyist. I was like, oh, hundred bucks again. I don't want to spend right. another hundred bucks on this thing. And so I went after it too. And I found this stuff, said, go go use this. There's even some like open source tools you can download and, and try to do the software based thing. And there might be some value in it. Like if your display, the contrast was completely off. There's some stuff they can do to try to, to have you figure out how to change it so that it looks better. But I'd compare it to kind of what you do at the eye doctor, which I just, I despise those tests <laughs> yes. when, when they do like, okay, which one's better, this one or this one. Right. A, you know, at the beginning, there's kind of a big difference and you can tell, which right. is where I, the software calibration stuff might be able to help you with some of the bigger problems that you might have with your screen yeah. and out setup. set up. But then it gets to a point where like, I have no idea. The two you showed me looked identical. <laughs> I <can't>, right. <laughs> I don't know what the difference is between those two things. And then and, and then I feel like he's like trying to test me, like, okay, you said you like this one better, but now uh-huh. now you're not. Now you're picking one that's not, you know. And right. you know, what else do they have to do? I, I don't know if there's a, a better way, but um, but that's how I I'd, I'd kind of say it's it feels the same way to me with the software-based calibration. It's maybe a little bit helpful, but it's it's not nearly as good as the hardware stuff. It's totally worth it to buy one of these hardware devices um, yeah
1: absolutely what i would what I would point people towards if if you are not wanting to get a hardware device um but even uh I would say it's still going to save you money uh, with with what I'm going to recommend here uh you can always do uh, you know a, a trial and error type of thing with your prints and oh sure when you when you l- find something that looks good that's when you start really paying attention to that histogram and i've gotten to the point where when i'm giving a an example in class are you kidding me that projector that i'm projecting on <laughs> is the Awful. antithesis of calibration oh yeah yeah and i was like okay this looks terrible on screen you know when i'm talking to my class and I was like, it looks pretty good on my screen here, which of course they don't
0: see. Of course. Yes. So I'm like,
1: the reason I know this is good is because that histogram is right where I need it. Right. And I've been printing long enough. I know within general, there's there's no way I can still just like nail it kind of a thing, but I can get in general, especially with brightness values. And I was like, I know how that's going to behave on the printer. And that's where I want that to be. And sure. then then we go from there. But still, it's definitely
0: better to, to just have that that calibrated, uh, approach. Right. Okay. So the, the products I know we can recommend the one I use personally is the color monkey display. Um, it's, it's not super expensive. It's not all the way up to that $1,500 one that Brent was talking about. It's like, I think about around 200, a little less than that. Um, and it's totally worth it. This, it works super well. I've had it for several years now. So it's not like you're going to need to be rebuying these things all the time. Um, yeah. If you somehow like ruin the USB cable to it or something, that would that would cause you to have to buy it. But uh, it's it's been durable and it's been great. I use it at least every month to to redo my my calibration. Uh, I really like it. It's produced. It's helped me to get some very good results. And uh, as I've done experimenting with printing myself it's made it so that I could get, I got really close on the first try, very, very close on the first try. And then I did need to, I, I wanted to change a little bit about the brightness and contrast as I print, but it, it was, it made it so it was really easy to get there. Um, the other one, I know tons of people use, I've had lots of people give me good, strong testimonials, good photographers who use this is the spider, um, device. I. Uh, it seems like there may be some differences in the question that we talked about, but It's, it can't be a big deal. (laughs) It just can't be because photographers are using it like crazy and they love it. And (laughs) so you can go, sometimes it might be sales where one's uh, slightly less expensive than the other. So if if you're looking and you're comparing between say the Spider 5, I think it's the pros the is kind of a lower one there's an elite level too. I don't know that you need that. Go figure out what the differences are. I think most of the differences are things like well, it not only does your screen but it can do that projector, for example. Right. You can calibrate the projector, which I believe I'm pretty sure my color monkey can do cuz I'm pretty sure I I've calibrate I have a cal- uh, projector in the house here to watch TV and movies and I, I'm pretty I think I did that with that if I remember right. Anyway, Um, that there's, there's what the differences are. The kind of the lowest end usually is you can calibrate just screens, just your, your monitor that you're using with your computer. Uh, and then as you pay for more, it can do more with like, okay, you can actually do it with your, uh, your projector or you can do it with your printer even. And that's, that's why you've got the $1,500 one, right? Yes. All right. So, so there's some recommendations on some hardware that you can get. Totally worth it. Even if you're a hobbyist, I know a hundred bucks, 200 bucks to spend on this. It seems like a lot for something that may not be uh, appealing. <laughs> it may not be like, Oh yay, I got a calibrator and and you're all excited right. about it, but it's worth it. I can tell you that it's worth it. It's something I'm really glad I spent some money on. Um, and okay. it, and yeah. it looks like the spider five
1: studio, which also does printing. That's only about $500. Oh, okay. So if you're looking to also do custom paper profiles, you can save some money potentially. I haven't done a recent price check on what X-Rite is doing for printing, but the Spider 5 by Datacolor is only 500
0: bucks. So, you know, that that can get your printers going too, so that's kind of nice. Okay. We'll have some links in the show notes over to these products so that you can you can find those or just searching them is really simple. Um Datacolor or X-Rite are the two companies there. Okay. okay. Um, last thing I wanted to cover and then we'll we'll close up the show here was how often to do the calibration. And this is one where I have done a lot of experimentation with this now because I've had my calibrator for I don't know, four years, something like that. And um, all of them come with an option too that, that makes me believe the manufacturers intend them to be used this way. They all come with this option to remind you to recalibrate <laughs> Yep <laughs> that, that it's going to bug you and be like, hey, it's been 30 days since you calibrated, it's time to do it again. And it bugs you and bugs you on. uh, I get bugged uh, continuously about this. I'm like, yep, I know. I know. Okay. I don't have time to do this right now. Hold on.
1: Mm -hmm. And,
0: uh, (laughs) and so, but then before I go and edit a big shoot, um, then I'll, I'll calibrate because for me, my shoots are far enough apart that it may have been more than 30 days since the last time I did an actual like client shoot. And so so I'm going to calibrate just before I go edit so that it's nice and fresh. And, and I'm making sure I have a freshly calibrated screen as I'm doing the edits. Um, because over time, displays drift. The pixels, the way they work, how bright, dark they are, how much color they produce, it drifts a little. Enough that it can, over months, become a problem. So I've, I've even heard this concept of like, I wish there was a rental thing so i don't have to invest... $100, $200 in it. I could rent it, do my calibration and send it back and be done. And I mean, it might work for a bit. It might work even for a year or something, but it eventually drifts enough that it kind of become comes out of alignment. And it's nice to have that to, to do that every month. So um, how real or not it is, I guess I can't say for sure because I do it pretty regularly. I do it every month at least, um, if not a little more often than that. But uh, it, it's, I, I think it's valuable to have the device and then just do it. Just do it every month. It only takes a few minutes, even though I've said I, I put it off as I get bugged. But um, it's just because I'm like, you know, working on a document or I'm working on something else, not photography related. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't, have, I don't have time to do it right now. And then I'm glad it's like bugging me again. And oh, yeah, I actually have time to do that right now. Let's go do it. And in ten, five, 10 minutes, you're done. This so. is where I probably
1: create uh, a commit, I should say, a couple of photographic sins because I don't even do it monthly. Um, I, I definitely should do it monthly with as often as I actually do work on photos. Uh, I definitely should do it monthly. Uh, but I've got uh, two screens at home uh, and I guess you could say three screens technically at work, uh, two for my desk and one for the uh, notebook. So there's just a lot to do and it, it is a bit of a time commitment if I want to do them all every month. Um, I would say it's more like a quarterly to every four months kind of an idea for me. So, okay. uh, it's still not going, I, I, I try not to go over a year, but, uh, you know, up to a year, I should say. But, um, sometimes I do that just because I don't go in the office
0: during the summer. So, you know, so, sometimes that, that happens. What I don't, I guess, what I haven't seen is any kind of um, metric you can see about how the profiles change. maybe if I went into the actual files and saw the values that were in there i 'd find right. something I could track but so i, I can 't really tell how much different it is between calibrations and right. it 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 tries to show you a before and after but the before and after would be kind of native uh, no right. no adjustments to the contrast or the brightness or the colors versus what you now calibrated to. It's not the right. previous calibration to the current calibration. That'd be kind right. of cool if they had that, but I haven't seen any of them that work that way. And, and so there's not really any kind of metric I can point to to say it drifts, you know, X percentage every month or anything like that. Um, I, maybe there's, there's something more technical out there. If anyone well, knows of a resource like that, I'd love to, to get my hands on that.
1: What you can do on that system preferences, I I don't know what on the PC, but on system preferences and dis- displays again, and you hit color, you can go and select which specific ICC profile sure. you want to have active, and so you could toggle back and forth between those. Yeah, if you save, there's a difference. I, I
0: could I could do that on the PC. I just overwrite it every time, so I, I guess I could save well, it. Maybe that's a a project I'll take on. Um, you know, and we'll talk about it later if I remember yeah. to do it. I'll just save it as a different name, and then maybe I'll, I'll uh, kind of yeah. compare them between and see, see how different I, they are. I, I have them saved
1: by date. the the That's actually in the file name, so uh-huh. I can see the last time I did this was in April. Oh. And so it's pretty much you know my, my four-month limit based Not April. <laughs> December. So at April, we're, we're basically um, four months out, and I need to do it again yeah. uh, according to my standard time frame. Uh, but then it'll just give it another date on the name, so I always have those kind of building up.
0: Perfect. All right, let's uh, let's close up the show. We've gone a little long here, uh, doodads. I'm going to go with the MagMod Mag Gel, and that alone won't get you anywhere because that's just the the holder for the gels. So you have to have a couple of other things. You have to have a Mag Grip too, and that's that's the uh, plasticky thing that you put on the flash itself, and then this Mag Gel with magnets just just kind of connects to it. And you have to have a gel pack from them. So the Mac grip is 25 bucks and the gel pack. They have, they offer four or five of them and they're $30 a piece. And then and you get, I think 10, 10 or so gels inside each one. Anyway, it's, it's, uh, it's not insanely cheap, 80 bucks because uh, you can get gel stuff for way, way less than that. You can oh, get, yeah. <laughs> you can get some, some gels that, uh, that you can cut out yourself and like use tape and, and put them on there for dollars. And, and it's, it's totally cheap. Uh, but the difference is, and the reason I think it's worth the money here, is it really unlocks your creativity because you can decide in a second, I actually want to try a red gel on this and then slap it on there and try it. And and it just doesn't take any time at all to make it happen. Whereas the other less expensive, they're way less expensive solutions, but less expensive, it takes a little bit of time to go <laughs> go and put that on there, get it secured to your your flash and and use it. And it's just not it's the convenience factor is a factor. And yeah. to me, I've tried the other kinds and sure, it works. And and uh, you can even get so that you're not, it doesn't take you a ton of time. But then it, as you're shooting and you're with a client, you're thinking, oh, do I really want to say, okay, hang on a second. I'm going to grab this piece of paper that may, may now be <laughs> <laughs> all uh, jammed up like uh, wrinkles all over it. I'm going to hurry and, and get out my tape and I'm going to tape it to my flashes while the client's waiting for you and, and do it. And you're just less likely, I think, to actually give it a try and have that be a creative thing. Now, if you're, if you're strong enough to actually do that, great. Go, go do that. Use the less expensive stuff. Awesome. But for me, it was worth it. Even the, it's, Again, we're talking about hobbyist dollars here are so rare and hard to spend. 80 bucks for this is reasonable. For, for me to be able to unlock that creativity and, and use it in the flashes. So that's my doodads cool. for this week. Brent, what do you have? So
1: I have actually the Canon Pixma Pro 100 or the Pro 10 is on rebate again until the end of April 2019. Oh. So uh, it just kind of goes in nicely with what we've been talking about with printing. But with that Pixma Pro 100, that is the the rebate is the exact price of my course so it's almost like i kind of joke tongue-in-cheek here that canon is paying for uh the course to use Uh to learn how to use the printer so uh we have a link in the show notes uh, for that particular printer but if you want to go with a pro 10 that is also on rebate until the end of april all
0: right so yeah as this airs you've got about two weeks where you can go take advantage of yeah of that and use the savings, use the rebate to go buy Brent's course and get it all in one. Get it, get it all taken care of. It'd be great. All right. We're gonna close up the show here. I want to remind you that you can find all of the show notes over at masterphotographypodcast.com. There's searchable show notes. We we work hard to to make it so that we have a lot of show notes for all the shows, and you can go find the episodes there at masterphotographypodcast.com. You can join our Facebook group. That's Master Photography Podcast. Just search for that in Facebook and you'll see it. You do have to answer a couple of questions, not a couple. You have to answer a question to join the group. We want to keep the spammers and the bots out of it. So you have to name a host on the show. Brent will work or Jeff will work for today's episode. We'd love to have you in there. Uh, we want listeners to be able to, to talk together and collaborate. We have a, a good community, a really good sized community in there that are all very helpful people uh, no question is stupid. <laughs> it's it's all not. good. Uh, Instagram for the show. It's, it's a fairly new it's at master photography podcast. And uh, we're trying to put out some images for each of the episodes that kind of speak to what the episodes were about and get some attention that way. And you can send messages. You can DM the, the show that way ma- at master photography podcast. Uh, my work, you can find me at jsharmonphotos.com. My other uh, podcast, photo taco podcast, dot com is where you can find everything there again searchable show notes for all the shows i do there i just as uh, we record this i just recorded with steve brazel and um uh, we did all about concert photography and the tips and tricks for concert photography so um if you're interested in that go check out photo taco podcast uh facebook i'm Harmon dot or Harmon jeff yeah harman.jeff Instagram, Harman Jeff, and Twitter, Harman underscore Jeff, but you can find all those links in the show notes. You don't have to remember any of that because it's different. It's screwy. Brent, where can people find you?
1: Certainly at my website, Brentbergherm.com, and then latitude photography podcast.com, and Facebook, Brent Bergen Photo, and then Instagram at Brent Bergen, and YouTube. I've got to just search my name again. Brent Bergham Photography is is the actual channel name. Uh and then we've got the uh course links in the show
0: notes as well so they're just Excellent. all found on the web, the main website though perfect all right thank you listeners for uh for listening to the show we sure appreciate all of you absolutely hope that you'll uh you'll subscribe if you like the episodes and that you'll share go share it with other people other photographers who might benefit from hearing tips about photography like we talked about in this episode and we'll see you all again in another seven days